This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. A, a really, really good show today. You can listen back to it on the Times Radio app. Uh, we talked about how it's five years since David Cameron said at the Tory party conference, Britain and Twitter are not the same thing. And we spoke to YouGov's Chris Curtis about basically how it really isn't. Uh, if if Britain voted the same way as Twitter, Labour would have had a double-digit lead in the polls and we'd now have Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister. Anyway, you can listen back to that on the Times Radio app. Now, though, because it's Wednesday, it must be time for this. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's time for PMQ's Unpacked. Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times, uh, joins me. Uh, we've got to the end of the party conference season. Normally, we'd be talking about poll bounces. I mean, you have to get people to take any notes of your conference for it to get any bounce. But we're sort well, of... including the journalists. <laughs> we're sort of basically where we were before, aren't we? Uh, pretty much, yes. Uh, I don't think uh, you know that the price of fish has been changed in the last uh, three weeks. Um, Normally, it's a huge sort of event for the Westminster Village. Everybody decamps to some godforsaken corner of the, the land um, and lives in a, a, an entirely new and separate bubble for a, a period of time. Um, but because of that, everyone's focused on things and everyone's you know meeting other people and endlessly gossiping and small things can blow up into quite big things. And often the public doesn't pay the blindest bit of notice to any of it. Um, and this time we've not even had people in the village getting excited about it. Most of these speeches have disappeared uh, entirely uh, legitimately without trace and um, nobody's any the wiser. Well, uh, let's see if Keir Starmer uh, can liven things up and get us all a bit more excited than... Uh... That maybe we have been joined the party conference. His speech seems like a very, very long time ago now. Um, but uh, let's uh, go live to the House of Commons. But Keir Starmer tackling Boris Johnson in PMQs. Now comes the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, this is a crucial moment if we're to gain control of the virus. Yet for eight days, nearly 16,000 positive tests were missed by the government. That means about 48,000 contacts were not traced. As of yesterday, thousands had still not been reached. Does the Prime Minister accept that this very basic mistake has put lives at risk? Uh, Mr Speaker, this is a, certainly a, 
problem that uh, we have fixed, the, the computer glitch, the error that uh, he refers to has been addressed. All the 16,000 that he refers to uh, have in fact got their, uh, test, their positive test results and should be self-isolating. And as soon as we became aware of the, uh, of the missing data, we brought in 800 people to, uh, to chase up uh, those, uh, those index cases and uh, we continue to chase their contacts, Mr. Speaker. And I think it will be for the uh, reassurance of the House and the, and the country that the, the data points, the, the missing data points, do not, uh, now that we look at them, uh, change in any way our assessment of the epidemiology, the spread of the, uh, of the disease. And uh, that's why uh, we continue with our package to uh, suppress the virus, uh, not just nationally, uh, but locally uh, and regionally as well. Yes. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Boris Johnson saying um, that having looked at all of the data from this extraordinary um, muck-up with, with the, the cases, he said, doesn't in any way change our assessment of the spread of the disease? We continue with our package. It doesn't sound like a man who's about to announce a new range of measures. No, I don't think so. But equally, um, there was at least an acknowledgement from Boris Johnson that there was a problem. He now claims it's fixed. Um, but it's not often that with question one, he acknowledges uh, that test and trace is at fault in any way. So um, that is a, a small development. Um, I, I mean, I can see that it's probably significant to those 16,000 people and clearly it could have some knock-on effects. But what he seems to be saying is that that doesn't, you know, I think, I think there's probably a situation where uh, the upsurge in the virus is now sufficiently large that even 16,000 cases is a bit of a drop in the ocean. Well, let's see, having got a straight answer to the Prime Minister, let's see how Keir Starmer responded. Mr Speaker, this isn't just a technical issue. It's a human issue. And the attempted reassurance by the Prime Minister just doesn't wash. In Greater Manchester, some of the missing cases date back to September the 18th. That's two and a half weeks ago, with three very serious consequences. It's now much harder to contact people after so long, the contacts of the 16,000, even if they're contacted successfully, for many, the self-isolation period has already expired. And thirdly, important decisions on local restrictions were made using the wrong data. £12 billion has been invested in this system, and yet a basic Excel error brings it down. No wonder it's been described as intergalactic incompetence. So why, at this crucial moment, did it take so long to catch this error and to address it. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, you can't have it both ways. You can't call it a, a human error and a, a basic Excel uh, error. And uh, let, me, let me just uh, remind the House of what I've, and the All Right Honourable Gentleman, of, of what I've just said, because the crucial thing is that, uh, yes, of course there has been an error, but the data points that uh, we're looking at do not change the, 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 the cases that we're looking at. Don't change the basic distribution of the disease. And I think it's very important for people to understand, because that, that's really what he was, I think, trying to, to drive at. And although the cases in the country are considerably up across the country this week on last week, the uh, seven-day statistics, Mr Speaker, show that uh, there are now 497 cases per 100,000 in Liverpool, 522 cases per 100,000 uh, in Manchester, 422 in, in Newcastle. And the key point, Mr Speaker, there is that the local uh, regional approach combined with the national measures remains correct, I think, because uh, two-thirds of those admitted into hospital 
on Sunday uh, were in the northwest, uh, the northeast, and and Yorkshire. So that's why I think uh, that approach continues to be correct. Uh, but let's just uh, jump in uh, there. Boris Johnson is really trying to reassure it's not having any impact, but it doesn't overlook the, the, the mistake and the mess that they made with this Excel system. No, I mean, I think his big point is the same one as in his answer to question one, and probably in terms of the broad thrust of the numbers, he, he's correct about that. I think people will listen to him saying it can't be both a basic human error and an Excel error at the same time, as if humans aren't the ones inputting <laughs> the data into the Excel spreadsheet. I mean, my understanding of these spreadsheets is if you arrange things you could, you're allowed 16,000 columns going right to left and more than a million line rows going uh, north to south. I know more about this. We had yeah. uh, Sam Joyner from the Times data team on yesterday. He was saying that uh, it's to do with it. They've got a very old version of Excel ah. where you could only have a few, maybe 60,000 rows. And if you upgrade to 2007... Uh, uh, version of uh, Excel, you could have a million rows. Oh, okay. So they just um, somebody just needed to splash out a new, a new one of those CDs to update. But their, presumably, their... There, some human intervention uh, has erred at some stage in this process. That um, would appear uh, to be the case. But Let... in a sense, Starmer, I think, was not expecting the answer we got in question one because he's now received the same answer to question two. It'd be intriguing to see if he gets the same answer to question three. Well, let's find out. Climate says it doesn't alter the basic distribution, yet thousands of people have been walking around while they should have been self-isolating. It patently has an effect on the basic distribution. If this was an isolated example, I think the British people might understand. But there's a pattern here on care homes, protective equipment, exams, testing. The Prime Minister ignores the warning signs, hurtles towards a car crash, then looks in the rear mirror and says, what's all that about? It's quite literally government in hindsight. Today, today, today is a hundred days, Mr Speaker, since the first local restrictions were introduced. Twenty local areas in England have been under restrictions for two months. Prime Minister, in 19 of those 20 areas, the infection rates have gone up. In Rosendale and Hindburn, they've gone up tenfold. Yet all the Prime Minister has to say is, it's too early to say if restrictions are working. But it's obvious that something's gone wrong here. So what's the Prime Minister going to do about it? I think you're right there, Tim. The, the, Keir Starmer wasn't expecting the contrition from Boris Johnson, but he's had to plough on with his... He's still uh, trying to get more contrition now. To plough on with his attack lines about how the, he gets it wrong on everything, ploughs on, ignores the warning signs, and then looks in the rearview mirror and asks, what's all that about? Interesting, he's using this line, government in hindsight, trying well, to turn... I'd be prepared to put a good sum of my worldly goods on the fact that Boris Johnson might say that it's the leader of the opposition who likes to uh, intrude uh, with hindsight. Captain Hindsight, indeed, indeed. Who even made an appearance in his party conference speech yesterday. Uh, let's see if uh, Boris... Because actually, it's, it is a really interesting question that Keir Starmer is asking. Yeah, and the car analogy is quite a good way of summing up uh, what the sort of critique of Boris Johnson is. It may be unfair, but if you're looking for a pithy way of trying to explain what his critics say he does, that's actually quite a good way of framing it. And if that catches on, we might hear more of it. And there's a, there's a, it's a really straightforward question. Uh, cases were rising. These places went into local lockdown. Why are they still going up? Let's see if Boris Johnson answers this time. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, as he knows we're continuing to, continue to provide support. Um, five, 
billion pounds of support for the uh, for the northwest, northeast, uh, for the lockdowns that the, the extra restrictions that they're experiencing, and uh, we, we will continue to to support all areas across the country that have to go into into local measures. Now, two weeks ago, I set out that strategy. I said uh, that we would go forward with both with national measures uh, and uh, such as intensifying the rule of six, making sure that we, uh, we enforced the, the rule of six. Two weeks ago, Mr Speaker, he supported it. In fact, I think he went on the, the Nick Ferrari show saying, that, yeah, I support the rule of six. Yes, I do. Uh, yet last night, Mr Speaker, uh, the Labour Party abstained on the rule of six. He asks what we're doing uh, to enforce well, he asked what we're doing to enforce local measures. He can't even be bothered to get his own side to support them himself. Uh, so Boris Johnson, they're talking about this vote last night on uh, brought about by some Tory rebels led by Sir Graham Brady, who's the chairman of the 1922 committee, also an MP up in uh, Greater Manchester, um, where these restrictions are in place. Um, only about a dozen or so Tory MPs actually voted against the rule of six. But Boris Johnson making the point there that when asked to make a decision, do you support the rule of six or not? Keir Starmer doesn't turn up. Yeah, and it's a source of great frustration to Boris Johnson. Um, but then it's the sort of role of the leader of the opposition to oppose a lot of the time. Um, and on this, they don't want to explicitly oppose, but they do want to point to the problems. Um, and that's always going to be a frustration for the government. Um, uh, Boris Johnson also referring to uh, Keir Starmer speaking to Nick Ferrari. I don't know what that is. We'll, 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 we'll try to find out what, what, whatever a Nick Ferrari is. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, for the Prime Minister's benefit, let me take this slowly for him. We, su we, we, we support measures to protect health. We want track and trace to work. But the government is messing it up and it's our duty to point it out. Let's get back to the questions. Because these are not trick questions. I've got the figures here, Prime Minister. In Bury, when restrictions were introduced, the infection rate was around 20 per 100,000. Today it's 266. In Burnley, it was 21 per 100,000 when restrictions were introduced. Now it's 434. In Bolton, it was 18 per 100,000. Now it's 255. The Prime Minister really needs to understand that local communities are angry and frustrated. So will he level with the people of Bury, Burnley and Bolton and tell them what does he actually think the problem is here? Well, Keir Starmer should be marked down for doing that annoying politician's thing of uh, using place names. The three the Bs. Three, the three Bs. Um, they uh, are at least all vaguely proximate and have vaguely the same yes, it's, situation. It's, it's, it's when you get Bs from different corners yes, of the globe. Plymouth to Preston yes. uh, and all that, which actually did quite a lot in his uh, party conference speech. He's getting a bit frustrated. I mean, it's, it's, they're sort of both right and they're both wrong, aren't they? It is... He is right to press the government on why things aren't working. Well, saying, why why isn't it working? An honest answer from Boris Johnson would probably be, number one, we don't really know. Number two, there are some unpalatable things that we could say about communities that live very close to each other and have multi-generational families in the same house um, uh, that lead to greater proximity between uh, people. Um, don't particularly probably want to go there if you're the Prime Minister. Um uh, and Starmer, you know, is right to say it's our right to ask these questions, but uh, equally um, it's unclear whether he has the answers either. Well, it's quite a difficult position for Keir Starmer if his position is this isn't working and we still support it fully. Uh, but let's go back to the covers there. 
Mr Speaker, the problem is, alas, that the disease continues to spread in the way that uh, I described to the House earlier. And the, the figures that he gives are, are no surprise, since they're fundamentally repetitions of what I've, uh, what I've already told uh, the House. And uh, what, we are doing, what we are doing is a combination of national and local measures, which one week, Mr Speaker, he comes to this House and supports, and the next week, uh, mysteriously, he decides to whisk uh, his support away. And he cannot even be bothered to mobilise his own, his own benches to support something as fundamental as the rule of six, which he himself said only three weeks ago that he supported. He cannot continue to have it both ways. Does he support the rule of six, yes or no? Well, look, literally, while we've uh, just been talking, it shows that the Labour machine has got better. They've put out the analysis that Keir Starmer's talking about, that 19 out of 20 areas in England that have been under restrictions for two months have seen an increase in infection rates. I mean, I suppose... I, don't know I was what... reading the very same WhatsApp message. And there it is, Bolton, Burnley and Bowie. There they are. Um, actually, one of the... Po- I don't know why Keir, uh, Boris Johnson doesn't say this. I mean, one argument is, well, it, it could be worse without those restrictions. Yes, I mean, that's an argument he could make. And, you know, uh, equally, there is an argument that some people on the right would make that this is just a second wave of the virus and it's spreading everywhere and a lot of these lockdown measures are irrelevant and that shows that we shouldn't bother with them at all. That is an argument that at least some people have made on the right. It's not an argument that Boris Johnson has been embracing. So it's not one he can deploy in this situation. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Yes, but the government... The gov- yes, but if the, if the Prime Minister can't see, if Prime Minister can't see and hear local communities when they say the infection rate has gone up tenfold under restrictions and he doesn't realise that's a problem, then that is part of the problem. Mr Speaker, there's a further cause of anger. Prime Minister, if you actually listen to the question, we might get on better. There's further cause of anger. Lack of clarity about why particular restrictions have been introduced. For example, in the Prime Minister's own local authority, Hillingdon, Today, there are 62 cases per 100,000. 
yet no local restrictions. But in 20 local areas across England, restrictions were imposed when when infection rates were much lower. In Kirklees, it was just 29 per 100,000. Local communities, Prime Minister, genuinely don't understand these differences. Can he please explain for them? Uh, Mr Speaker, I think actually that he's heard from uh, me and heard repeatedly from the government uh, why we're bringing in differentiated uh, local restrictions. I've just given the figures for uh, the North East and North West. I wish I could pretend, Mr Speaker, that uh, everything was going to be rosy in, uh, in, in the Midlands or indeed in London, Mr Speaker, where, alas, we are also seeing infections rise. And that's why we need a concerted national effort. We need to follow the guidance. We need hands, face, face, get a test uh, if you have symptoms, and obey the rule of six, Mr Speaker. And I, I, I think it quite extraordinary that uh, the right honourable gentleman has just said that he, he, personally, he personally supports the rule of six while allowing his entire party to abstain. I don't feel like we're making a lot of progress here, Tim. Well, I mean, there are arguments that Boris Johnson could make slightly more clearly if he was being slightly more honest. I mean, dear old uh, Keir Starmer there says, well, look, Kirklees was slapped with these restrictions when it had 29 infections out of 100,000. Um, why are places with 62 not now being hit with them? I mean, Boris Johnson can surely reply, it's all relative. You know, if everywhere else is at 15 and you're at 29, then probably you need to think about restrictions. As we heard earlier, some of these places in the north are running at four or 500 out of, uh, of 100,000. So if somewhere else is at 62, they seem to be doing quite a lot better. Um, but again, he doesn't sort of really ram home those points. Um, it's also telling that so far, at least, Keir Starmer hasn't aligned himself with the uh, mostly Labour leaders of Newcastle, Leeds, Manchester and Liverpool, who've written to the government uh, saying that the restrictions in the north of England aren't working and want a more local approach. Uh, no, I mean, he hasn't done that yet. Um, and he's been resistant to um, taking any kind of specific position on this beyond a sort of broad brush support for the government whilst criticising most of what uh, the outcomes that have been achieved. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible that anyone listening to this uh, can think... Um, uh, Yes, the restrictions aren't working particularly well, but nobody else seems to necessarily have a better idea. No, and the, neither Starmer or Johnson is arguing that we should be doing nothing. It would be much more interesting politically if someone was taking that position. Yeah, and as ever, that comes from the back benches. Let's go back to the Commons. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister can't explain why an area goes into restriction. He can't explain what the different restrictions are. He can't explain how restrictions end. This is getting ridiculous. Next week... This House will vote on whether to approve the 10pm rule. The Prime Minister knows that there are deeply held views across the country in different ways on this. One question is now screaming out, is there a scientific basis for the 10pm rule? The public deserve to know, Parliament deserves to know. If there is, why doesn't the government do itself a favour and publish it? If not, why doesn't the government review the rule? So will the Prime Minister commit will the Prime Minister commit to publishing the scientific basis for the 10 pm rule before this House votes on it next Monday? Uh, Mr Speaker, the basis on which we set out the curtailment of hospitality was the basis on which he accepted it two weeks ago, uh, and that is to reduce the spread of the virus, Mr Speaker. And that is, that is our objective. That's why we introduced 
the rule of six, Mr Speaker, which again uh, he supported only two weeks ago. And yet, and yet uh, last night uh, they have said, and today they're, today they're withdrawing uh, their support for other restrictions. What kind of a signal, Mr Speaker, does this send to the people of the country about the robustness of the Labour Party and their willingness to enforce the restrictions? Mr Speaker, that's not new leadership. That's no leadership. And we, we, are, we, are taking, we are taking the tough decisions that are necessary, imposing restrictions, which we don't want to do, Mr Speaker, but imposing restrictions locally and nationally to fight the virus, to keep young people, keep kids in education and keep the bulk of our economy moving. And, uh, and at the same time, Mr Speaker, we are getting on with our agenda, our lifetime skills guarantee, our green industrial revolution, by which we will take this country forward and build back better. I think it might be better if he just stopped at that line on well, not quite. new leadership, but, but no leadership. That was a proper exchange, though, wasn't it? That was actually by far the most interesting moment of PMQs. We had a, a question from Starmer that did hint that he is now prepared to take a stand on the 10pm curfew, demanding the evidence and saying, you know, what's the point of all this? And he talked to people in Downing Street. They say, well, there's partly a thing about, you know, if you, everyone leaves the pubs and is drunk, they mill around a bit more. And yes, you, But it's more about signalling... We're doing something a bit differently now. The world is different from how it was two months ago. That's what it's really all about. But again, there's not a great epidemiological uh, amount of evidence for that. It's about more about a signal you're sending. Um, and again, they don't seem to want to say that publicly. But then Boris Johnson actually finally has a proper line. And, you know, given all his frustrations about Keir Starmer, they can often, week by week, we hear them, sound a bit like the Prime Minister moaning about being asked questions. <laughs> there, you know, Starmer has made a big play of saying... I'm the new guy in town, new leadership, and Boris Johnson's finally got himself a catchphrase. It's not new leadership, it's no leadership. And that probably has tested quite well in some of his uh, focus groups or uh, some of the polling they've done. And we'll be hearing that one again, I think. And it's setting up quite a big test then for Keir Starmer next week. That he can't, he's basically put him in his position now, he can't do what he did last night and abstain on the vote on uh, the 10pm curfew. I mean, he sort of said there were deeply held views on all sides without actually telling him what his, his own was. Well, as you say, it would be a challenge if if he were to abstain. And, you know, Boris Johnson would make hay with that next week. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, Starmer seems to have identified the 10pm thing as uh, the weak link in the government's epidemiological argument and also one of the weak links in their relationship with their backbenchers. He knows that Johnson's in trouble with uh, Tory MPs on that subject and he's decided that's the scab he wants to pick at and that's politically quite interesting, I think. It's also probably the, one of the most ton, totemic things the public understands. You know, the rule of six probably makes sense. You know, if, it may, if it's seven or six, you know, neither here nor there. The 10pm thing, people talking about this down the pub in the early afternoon just think this doesn't make any sense. And so that's the sort of thing that might be able to chime. Uh, let's move on from Keir Starmer now. Let's hear from Ian Blackford, the SNP leader in uh, Westminster. To the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week is Challenge Poverty Week, and I'd like to thank all organisations across Scotland and the United Kingdom helping families through the most difficult of times. Their dedication and commitment should inspire every single one of us in the fight to end poverty. With mass unemployment looming, having the right social security measures in place to help families over the long term is vital. Mr Speaker, the Chancellor has so far refused to commit to make the £20 universal credit uplift permanent. This means that 16 million people face losing an income equivalent of £1,040 overnight. 
Will the Prime Minister now commit to making the £20 uplift to universal credit permanent? Mr Speaker, can I thank the uh, right honourable gentleman and, and uh, I, I welcome his support for, for universal credit, which uh, this uh, side of the House introduced. I'm proud uh, that we've been able to uprate it in the way that, uh, in the way that we have and uh, we, will continue, we will continue to support people across uh, the, the country uh, with the biggest cash increase in the national living wage uh, this year and uh, the result of, the, of universal credit uh, so far has been that there are 200,000 fewer people in absolute poverty now than there were in 2020. I, I know that he wasn't perhaps a keen supporter of universal credit uh, when it was introduced, but I welcome his support today. Returning to Scotland... Well, that, well, just before we do return to Scotland, we should point out that part of the reason was that gap there is that Ian Blackford is appearing remotely. He's back at home in, a, in, a, in another room. It's a different one to when we saw him appearing before. It's a sort of... Um, Definitely the same house. Pine, or did he manage to sell the other it's one? It's a sort of pine... pine well, maybe that was part of the, the, why he was uh, showcased. But sort of pine cladding on the wall. A sort of hint of a sauna is how hint I would... Hint of uh, Sweden. Uh, that I would describe it. I don't know if he's self-isolating as a result of coming into contact with Margaret well, Ferry. if you had a sauna, you'd be more inclined to, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, this is quite a big issue, though, this isn't it? This uh, universal credit thing. Rishi Sunak put it up in recognition that quite a lot more people are going to uh, find themselves claiming out of work benefits. We were talking to um, Torsten Bell from the Resolution Foundation earlier this week about uh, Rishi Sunak's uh, honeymoon possibly coming to an end, drawing direct parallels with George Osborne, who was once in exactly this position, facing a cut to benefits that was going to leave families a thousand pounds worse off. And in the end, he had to back down. Well, it's always a difficult one politically. If you give people money, um, it's very difficult to take it away again later. Um, George Osborne discovered that uh, when he uh, kept suspending uh, fuel duty rises and every chancellor since has had to continue to suspend them. And you, uh, So far for this government, you think of some of the big issues that have not erupted and caused them massive damage. Um, one of those, one of the dogs that hasn't barked, has been a sort of meltdown in the benefits system or some kind of great benefit scandal. And, you know, quietly, um, Therese Coffey, the Secretary of State there, has been winning sort of plaudits from the rest of the Cabinet because so far things have not gone catastrophically wrong. That system's obviously going to come under great strain in the months ahead. Um, but, you know, Ian Blackford, who actually has pretty good political antennae, um, getting in early on another issue um, that's going to be an issue, uh, you know, be a potential problem for this government in the months ahead. Let's go back here, Ian Blackford's second question. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, one of these days the Prime Minister might even consider to ask the question. It was about making the £20 increase permanent. The Joseph Rowntree Foundation have painted a very clear picture for his government. Strip the £20 universal credit away and 700,000 more people, including 300,000 children, could move into poverty. 500,000 more people could end up in severe poverty, more than 50% below the poverty line. The Resolution Foundation have called the £20 uplift a living standards lifeline for millions of families during the pandemic. Challenge Poverty Week is a moment for all of us to take unified action against poverty. The Prime Minister has an opportunity here and now. Will he do the right thing? Will he answer the question? And will we make the £20 uplift permanent? Let's say Mr Speaker, I, I, I don't want in any way to uh, 
uh, under, uh, estimate the importance of what Ronald Jamie is, is saying. Uh, it is vital that we tackle poverty in, in this country, and that's why this government is so proud of what we did with the, uh, the national living wage. And uh, what I can tell him on universal credit is that we're putting another £1.7 billion into universal credit by 2023-2024. And if that doesn't give him the answer uh, that he wants, uh, then, uh, then he can ask again next week. But we will continue, we will continue to support people, families across this country. And we will continue to spend £95 billion a year in this country on working age welfare. But the best thing we can do uh, for families, for people on universal credit, is to get this virus down, get our economy moving again, and get them back into well-paid, high-skilled jobs. And that's what we're going to do. That was almost an answer for me, wasn't it? Yeah, and a sort of hint that some kind of support will keep continuing. Um, he's obviously not going to commit explicitly to a particular measure um, outside of uh, a budget or uh, a fiscal event. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he sort of he could have given that a lot more short shrift than he did. Yeah, and I suppose at the very least he doesn't want to be seen to be ruling something out if, the, you know, that will uh, come back to haunt him later on. And But you're right, it does seem like Ian Blackford's managed to put his finger on something a bit more pertinent, certainly to, you know, normal people. Well, he's be. had a tendency to focus more on the economy than Keir Starmer, who's very much focused on the virus over the years. My main takeaway of today, though, looking at Boris Johnson, he looks sort of... He's lost all this weight. We were told he'd lost £26. He seems to have gained half of it back on the top of his head, where his hair is... <laughs> uh, you know, people... You know, if there's a sort of Johnson hair ebullience index, um, the shaggy sheepdog is back with a vengeance today. It's sort of all over the place and uh, appears to have a life of its own. Well, maybe he needs to get down to the hairdressers before they were forced to close again. Uh, Tim Shipman is ever, political editor of the Sunday Times. Really good uh, to have you join us here on Times Radio. That was PMQ's Unpacked. I'd say the two big takeaways of that, Boris Johnson not ruling out protecting the universal credit uh, increase, which is due to come to an end next year. And Keir Starmer laying down the gauntlet, wanting to know the government's evidence for the 10pm curfew uh, for pubs and restaurants uh, shutting ahead of a vote next week, suggesting he might take a position on that. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.